Worship team, thank you so much uh, for that time of worship. Uh, boy, isn't it good to be loved by the God of this universe to know what is true and that is His love is so deep for us. An incredible thing, incredible thing. Um, let's do this, okay? Just a reminder, when you see communion in a bulletin, expect this round situation, okay? I still love seeing your surprise faces when you come in. But we can forget about the surprise if you look and see the bulletin says communion. Then you'll come in and say, oh, communion next week? Round, be ready for it. So when you come around the corner, it's like, I knew it. I knew it. Um, because when we come together on communion, um, it's okay to be surprised. But I want you prepared. I want you to realize what we're coming into this day. It's going to be a special day as we focus on what Christ did for us. And it is Palm Sunday, right? And I remember uh, Jim Smith, one of our uh, missionaries, uh, who's passed away since, but whenever we'd go to the Dominican Republic, Jim would always say, Palm Sunday, give me five. You know, we always did the high fives. That was his way of reminding us it was Palm Sunday. I don't know if that's uh, irreverent or not, but it, you know, it was one of those things like that was, that was Jim, and it always, uh, that's the first thing that came to my mind in Palm Sunday, but then I'm quickly reminded what Palm Sunday is really about. And I heard a story about a little sick boy um, he couldn't go to church on Palm Sunday. He stayed home. And when he was there at home with his mom, uh, he missed out on everything that happened that day at church. Dad comes home from church. He comes in carrying this palm branch. And uh, the little boy is curious, and he saw Dad with his palm branch. He goes, Dad, palm branch? What happened? What happened at church? He goes, it was Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, you have to remember, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. The boys just put his head down and said, oh man, the one Sunday I miss, Jesus shows up. Oh. Well, I'm praying that Jesus shows up today in this message and his word and, and his spirit just comes alive in your heart as we, we look at scripture. So if you would, turn with me to the book of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, New Testament, fourth book. Need a Bible? Raise your hand. Tim's got some right there. He'll bring one to you. John chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now, uh, as we turn in there, I want to say a big thank you to, uh, to all of you. Your prayers, your cards, your, your food. Uh, incredible. Um, Jenny and I, we look like a young people's nursing home moving around the house right now. And uh, our boys have been fantastic in helping um, this is one time we've asked them to do something and they don't complain, they don't gripe, they're quick to it and it's been awesome. Uh, but thank you so much. We've been overwhelmed by your, your love and support and um, I, I just feel very blessed to be a part of the church and to see you be the church. Uh, I know some of, there's probably some dishes back there that I think the boys brought them this morning and carried some of, some of them in. So as you pass by, if you've dropped off food, please check to see if your dishes are there. Some of them we're still working on um, and some of them... We don't know if they're ours or yours, so we didn't mark them. So take them, please. Um, but thank you so much. Jenny wanted to make sure that I expressed that to all of you as well. Um, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus sat at the table with him. When Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, she wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with fragrance. 
verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, that perfume is worth a small fortune. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds. He often took some of it for his own use. Verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did it in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here with you much longer. And when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it's because of him that many people deserted them and believed in Jesus. Now, I wanted to read this passage to you before we get to the actual passage where we're going to be looking at more today. But this passage sort of sets it all up. This passage here, when you read about this, what you read here and what you observe here is there's, there's about five or six different ways to worship Jesus. And we all come on Sunday morning, and people gather all across the United States on Saturday night and Sunday morning to worship Jesus. But we come in different ways, different attitudes. And here's the first one I want you to see. Look at Martha. Martha was serving. How can you worship God? By serving. This morning, there's people here worshiping God by serving. They're back right now taking care of your children. That's their way of serving this morning. While we're out here listening and singing along and getting in the scripture and praying, they're serving, just like Martha did. That's one way to worship Jesus. And then we see the next one was Lazarus. Lazarus just sat there and ate with Jesus just sort of hung out. Just, I just want to be with you, Jesus. I'm just going to eat with you today. And then we look at Martha. I'm sorry, Mary, and what Mary did. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. It would have cost, you know, they say more than a day's wages. could have been a year's wages to buy this. And she took it all in one moment and poured it on the feet of Jesus and used her hair to wipe his feet. What an incredible act of sacrifice. That'd be like you coming in today saying, you know what? Year's wages. I'm going to take it and put it back in the blessings box. You know, sometimes we briefly go over that and we say, um, put your visitor's card in the blessing box. That's how we give back to Jesus. And sometimes we sort of pass by that. You have to understand, giving to this church is an act of worship. It's part of what we do. And we give out of our salaries, out of our money, out of our paycheck. That's not our paycheck. That's God's. And we give back. It's an act of worship. And that's part of what Mary did there. And then we have Judas. How did he worship Jesus? By complaining. Oh, the music was too loud. The pastor preached too long. See, it's too, too hard. And Man, you know how you could have really used that money instead of for missions or instead of for the kids department or instead of for somebody's salary or instead of paying for electric? You know how you could have used that money for the budget this year? You know, there's always a little bit of complaining going on. And Judas was right there complaining, right? And then there's the people. The people heard that Jesus came. Oh, man, Lazarus came back from the dead. Let's go see Jesus that did this. There's always some, you know, the entertaining part of, of worship, like I can't wait for the band to ramp it up, or I can't wait for a funny story, or I can't wait to see so-and-so. I can't wait for this certain part of Sunday or Saturday to happen because I want to be entertained, right? These people wanted to be entertained. And then you had the leading priests. They wanted to kill not only Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus too. They were jealous. You know, that's not the way you're supposed to worship. You're supposed to come to us to worship. You're supposed to come to us and listen to what we have to say and do what we say because we are the leading priest. And this is the way it is. You, it doesn't take very far for us to go onto a website or to read a, an article 
about some Christian group bashing another Christian group. We just read, read this the other day. There's, there's, and I'm not going to get to who was bashing who, but they were criticizing another pastor for um, working with a Christian music group to help raise money to feed the poor in another country. And I'm sitting there reading this and going, really? You're upset with this pastor who's getting along with this Christian singing group because they're going to do a concert to raise money to give all that to people who are starving. And these Christians were complaining about it. The first thing that came to my mind was like Pharisee. You know, that's the first word that wanted to come out of my mouth, you know, these leading priests. Now, I, I wanted to read this scripture because when you observe and you read this passage, you see all these various ways people come to worship Jesus. We're coming here to see Jesus. We're coming here to worship. Whether we're going to serve, whether we're going to just sacrificially give, whether we're just going to sit there and dwell in His presence. Maybe we're going to complain. Or maybe we just want to be entertained. Or maybe we, we, we just point fingers at people and say, that's not the way to worship. We all come in various ways, but this morning I want you to see that Jesus wants to enter into your life and my life in a way different than any other way. And because of that, we can worship Him in a way different than any other way that you've maybe ever worshipped before. Now, as you're reading here, let's turn back to Scripture. We just finished off reading verse 11, right? Now, look what happens, okay? Let's read on, because in this next thing, we're going to see Jesus enter in. We're going to see Jesus enter into uh, Jerusalem. And before I read this, I want you to think about this, because you're going to see in a little bit, we're going to show the clip here in a second. We're going to see how Jesus enters in on Palm Sunday, and we're going to see this big fanfare, and we're going to see how it's so pumping, so exciting, okay? And we're going to read this. But I want you to understand this. This isn't the way Jesus always did it. You see, we know this, that every spring, hundreds of Hollywood stars gather together for the Academy Awards, and very few of those Academy uh, Award winners slip in the back, right? Have you ever, I don't know if you ever watch it, I don't watch it, but if you ever watch this, I don't know if you ever heard about the Hollywood stars, like, we just sort of slipped in the back, we didn't want the fanfare, right? No. They come out on the red carpet. They, they come dressed in a way that they want to make sure everybody sees uh, what they're showing off with their clothing or their lack of clothing, and they want to make sure everybody sees it, and they want to chat with the reporters and get in a few clips, and, hey, how you doing? You know, it's all about the entrance. It's all about the entrance and how they come walking in, right? Contrast that with what Jesus did, okay? So I want you to understand this. When, when he healed a man of leprosy in Matthew 8, he said to that man, he said, see that you don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, right? In Matthew chapter 9, there was two blind men he healed, and he warned them sternly, said, don't tell anyone about this. In Mark 1, there was a demon-possessed man in Capernaum that he healed, and we got done with him, because you know, that, that demon-possessed man says, I know who you are, you're the Son of God. And Jesus replied and rebuked him and said, be quiet. See, Jesus, Jesus chose to not have that limelight, not to have the stars and the red carpet. And all those times he's telling people, not yet, be quiet, don't tell anybody, you know. That's, that was him. But then this one entrance, because Jesus knew it was his final entrance into the final week of his life. And this is what we're going to read. Look at John then, chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, 
sat on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Israel. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, his disciples didn't realize at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered the scriptures had come true before their eyes. Verse 17. Those in the crowd who had seen Jesus called Lazarus back to life, were telling others all about it. And that was the main reason so many went out to meet him, because they heard about his mighty miracle. Then the Pharisees said to each other, we've lost. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now, I want, we're going to show this clip now, but I want to read one more scripture to you. Now, this scripture is out of Mark chapter 11. Let me turn there and I want to read this to you. Mark chapter 11. Because this is put together in a video clip, but I want you to understand there's a part in this movie, and like I said, there's the series, the mini-series that you've been seeing on TV, the Bible's been really good, but again, it doesn't have everything because they don't have all the time to put everything in. There's a clip in here. You're going to see Jesus come in on the, riding in on the donkey, and then you're going to see him go into the temple. But there's something that happened in between that, scripturally, that we know, and that is there's a cursing of a fig tree, Okay? And if you were to read scripture and you see Jesus curses this fig tree and it does because it doesn't bear fruit. And then he goes into the temple and he sort of rips up the temple. You have to understand there's a correlation there between those two stories. See, the fig tree is supposed to bear fruit, but it wasn't. And Jesus went into the temple and the temple is supposed to be filled with God's people bearing fruit. And it wasn't. It's a good correlation there. Make sure you read that sometime. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Actually, I'm going to read right, I'll read right through that. Um, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus felt hungry. He noticed a fig tree a little way off that was full of leaf. He went over to see if he could find any figs on it. But there was only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. And Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When he arrived back in Jerusalem, he entered the temple and began to drive out the changers, the merchants and the customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from bringing in merchandise. And he taught them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a place of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so enthusiastic about Jesus' teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. That's the triumphal entry. That's what we're going to view this morning right now. So why don't we go ahead and take a watch of that. As you uh, viewed that, you saw many things. Again, the visual to put together with what we read, what we've studied, the stories we've been told, I believe helps. But in this situation, maybe you see something that you haven't seen before. And in a book called Simply Jesus, author and Bible scholar N.T. Wright wrote this here. He describes a storm gathered off the Atlantic coast. Many of you probably remember this. It was off the Atlantic coast of the United States. It took place October 1991. The crew of the fishing boat called Andrea Gale, coming off of Massachusetts, had just taken the vessel out to sea. Matter of fact, they were about 500 miles out into the Atlantic. Now, a cold front was moving in from the Canadian border. You take that cold front with a strong disturbance through New England, while at the same time a large high-pressure system was building over the provinces of southeastern Canada. So you've got those systems come together, and then the very, uh, what they call an intensified incoming low-pressure system. Don't I sound like the weatherman from Channel 11? 
And then, Blizzard Bill, anyway, um, this another system came coming in, producing what they called a Halloween nor'easter. Now, Robert Case, a meteorologist, put it like this. Let me read what he said. These circumstances alone could have created a strong storm. But then, like throwing gasoline on a fire, a dying hurricane grace delivered immeasurable tropical energy to create what they called the perfect storm. Now, this hurricane sweeping in from the Atlantic completed the picture. Now, the forces of nature basically converged on this fishing vessel is a very helpless Andrea Gale at that point in time. From the west, the north, and the southeast came these storms and these pressures. Ferocious winds, horrific uh, waves, reduced that boat to basically firewood. Nothing left to it. Only light debris was ever found. And there had, of course, been earlier perfect storms, but this is what made the book and the movie famous with the title called The Perfect Storm. So if you remember that happening, now N.T. Wright goes on to say this. He compared that book, that story of the perfect storm to this situation when Jesus entered Jerusalem. He said, what happened there, the ingredients of the oppressive Roman Empire that was there in Jerusalem, putting their force upon the people, along with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were in the temple, who governed the law, and then you bring in the Holy Spirit and the act of Jesus Christ coming into the city. The convergence of all three powers come together basically is what N.T. Wright called, in biblical terms, the perfect storm. As the Passover approached, this is what we saw. Now, when we refer back to Scripture and we look at Scripture and understand this and understand what was going on with the religious leaders, a lot of times those religious leaders said, follow this law of the T. This is how salvation comes, through the religious leaders. But we know this. Salvation comes to the human heart. Not as an act of religion or human effort or political, but as a result of a relationship with the living presence of Jesus Christ coming into our heart and taking residence in our life. That's where salvation comes from. Now, Jesus entered Jerusalem to give uh, encouragement. Jesus entered Jerusalem to give everyone what Mary, what Martha, and what Lazarus had back in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. That's why I wanted to read that portion, portion of Scripture to you. I wanted you to see how they worshiped Jesus because they had a relationship with Jesus. Contrast that with Judas and the other people and the religious leaders. What kind of relationship they had? They had religion. There's a difference between relationship and religion. When Jesus enters this city, things changed. When Jesus enters our life, things change. Look at the person next to you and say, when Jesus comes in, everything changes. Let them know that. Yeah, everything changes. Let me hear you say, everything changes. Everything changes when Jesus enters in. I want to make sure you hear that this morning. I'm going to talk real quick, three different things here. One of the elements of that perfect storm that eventually swept Jesus to Calvary were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But the Sadducees, I want you to understand, they were the priestly part. Okay? They were the priestly part of Jesus' day. They were the elite caretakers of the temple. The high priest was the Sadducee. And the high priest represented the people of God. He interceded with God on behalf of the people. So the high priest's job was basically to offer the sacrifices for the people. Now this dates back in the Old Testament, back with Aaron and Moses. 
when the people would take that sacrificial lamb, put it on the altar, well, the priest did that for these people. They were still doing it then in Jerusalem. When Jesus entered Jerusalem and he made his way into the temple and he overturned the tables and he called what we say the cleansing of the temple, you need to understand this. He was a threat to the power and the place of these religious leaders, of these Sadducees, the priestly part. But he was more than that because we know what the Bible says that Jesus himself was both high priest once and for all, for all sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10, would you turn there with me? If you were in uh, John, just go towards the back of the New Testament. The book of Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read this scripture to you. We talk about all this. I say all this to you. Where do we get that from, right? Scripture. Scripture. Go to God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 1. The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Does that make sense to everyone? They did the animal sacrifices over and over. This is for our sins. The priest did it. They sacrificed it. Your sins have been cleansed, but they had to keep doing it over and over because the one act didn't work. So there had to be a repetition of this. Verse 3. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. See, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's why Christ, when he came into the world, said, You do not want animal sacrifices and green offerings, but you've given me a body so that I may obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar or with other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, God, just as it is written in the scriptures about me. Verse 8, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or other offerings for sin. No, you were, you were not pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he added, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant. Verse 10, and what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. You ever hear that? He, come in the, he comes in the temple and he sees all this wrong stuff being done, exchanging money. I'm sorry, that money doesn't work here at this temple, so you're going to have to exchange it. And it's going to cost you more. Why? Because I'm making money. I'm cheating you. Oh, and, and that goat that you brought in, it looks blemished. There's something wrong with it. It's got a little limp to it, or its ears hanging a little bit too much. That goat will not be a good sacrifice to God. So you better buy my goat, and it's going to cost you something. Jesus walked into that. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. When you come here to worship me, it's me you're worshiping, not money, not man. He came as a high priest above all priests. He didn't offer that bull. He didn't offer a lamb as a sacrifice. Jesus comes and says, I'm offering me. I'm offering my body. And so Jesus comes into my life, your life. He takes up residence in your heart, in my heart. When we begin that day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with him, 
that saving and healing presence begins forgiving and cleansing. It's a relationship with Jesus. His one act on the cross, his sacrifice, allows us to have that relationship. So I don't have to take a precious offering to a priest. I don't, for, for my sins to be forgiven, I don't have to take something to somebody and say, I'm sorry, will you accept this on behalf of God for me? See, I have complete forgiveness. You have complete forgiveness for your sins, for the wrong choices you make, for the wrong things you do. You have complete forgiveness thanks to Jesus Christ. Let me pause and ask you this question. Because okay? we're all going to partake here in communion soon, the Lord's Supper. This is a picture of what Christ has done for us. When we partake in it, we're joining in, saying thank you for the sacrifice that you did. And we join with you, Christ, in doing this, in honoring you and remembering what you did. But to do that, we come to the table needing to be forgiven. So let me ask you all this. Do you need forgiveness? Have you said something you should not have said? Have you done something you should not have done? Have you hurt somebody that you should not have hurt? Are you holding a grudge with somebody that you should not be holding? We're all guilty of things. We all know it's wrong. And Jesus said, that's why I came. For that sacrifice, so that you don't have to bear the guilt and bear the shame and bear the sin. See, when Jesus enters our life, forgiveness comes to us because he is the high priest. When Jesus enters our life, righteousness comes to us too because he's the fulfillment of the law. The other part of that perfect storm was not just the Sadducees, but it's also the Pharisees. They were the teachers of the law, the rabbis, the ones who relied on the, the law of Moses, every detail to gain favor in God's sight. And they made up over 600 other separate commandments because they didn't want you to mess up on the other commandments, so they created another 600 commandments so you wouldn't mess up on the others. Hey, better to be safe than sorry, right? We really don't want to mess this up, so let's create more rules to keep us away from breaking the other rules. So they added to these traditions, of course, from the giving of the law from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, there's not one human being who can keep any of those commands, right? There's nobody able to succeed in keeping the law. In fact, an accomplished Pharisee, who God changed his life, his name is Paul, said this, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Well then, should we conclude then that Jews are better than others? No, not at all. We have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. And scripture says this, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one's seeking God. We've all turned away. We've all become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Paul calls us out. He says, man, we've blown it. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. You ever see a guy on a basketball court foul somebody, then he looks at the referee, he's like, what? I didn't touch him. The guy's laying there with the, you know, bleeding out of the nose. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I didn't do it, right? We do the same thing with sin. We, we mess up, and God's like, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> God, what are you talking about? I, they did it, not me, right? Despite the Pharisees' efforts, no one, not one soul, could manage to keep the law of God. Because, you see, the law was not given to make us righteous, to make us right with God, okay? Let me hear you say, right with God. How many of you in here, don't raise your hand, but how many here want to be right with God? Isn't that a good place to be? How many of you don't want to be right with God? You want to be on God's bad list, right? No. 
I want to be right with God. That's righteousness. Righteousness is being right with God, okay? The Bible says the law was given to show us our sin. Romans 3.20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. It just doesn't happen, okay? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So in other words, the law exists so that you and I know that we're sinners. We didn't need that to tell us that, right? We already figured that one out, that we've all blown it, right? So why do we need a Savior? Because this really points out that we can't do it on our own, right? We can't tell the truth all the time. We can't keep our thoughts pure. We can't be honest all the time. We struggle with it. We're tempted to do different things, and we've discovered, I need somebody to help me, right? Matthew 5, 17 says this, Don't misunderstand why I've come. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or Moses or the writings of the prophets. I didn't come to wipe that out. I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So when he enters our life and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that law takes place within us so that we can be right with God. See, we need forgiveness and we need to be made right with God. And when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that happens. When we have religion with God, we don't get that. But a relationship allows us to be forgiven and to be right with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for sin, so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. We're made right with Him through Jesus Christ. So Jesus enters our life. Forgiveness comes to me because of His sacrifice that He made as our high priest. And then He enters our life also to make us right with God because He's the fulfillment of the law. So we've got the Pharisees, we've got the Sadducees, we've got the Roman power all coming in to create this perfect storm, but what's the Roman law? The Roman law. Roman is power, right? Did you see them standing there? Their shields? They're intimidating. Did you see the disciples' faces smile and all of a sudden a little fear came on their face? Why is that? Because you've got these big masculine soldiers all armored up in shields and spears. That's power. They provoked fear into the lives of everybody. There's power coming at you. So we've got the law. We've got, we've got the, the priest. And then we've got the power coming in. And from reading, we know that when Jesus entered the city, Jesus eventually, we'll see, was arrested. And he's brought before the Roman power, right? The king of Jews, the self-called king of Jews, Pilate and, and Herod. And these earthly rulers supposedly had the power to pardon or sentence Jesus. And they stood before Jesus. And, and what, what, what happened? Do you remember that what took place? The whole time Jesus stood before these human rulers, they, they said, so are you the king of Jews? If that's what you say, I am. See, they could arrest him, but he was still king. They could imprison him, but he's still king. They could flog him and hurt him, pull his beard out, but he's still king. They could crucify him, which they did, and bury him, which they did, but he's still king. That's why when Jesus died, came back from the dead, rose from the grave, and appeared before his disciples, they, still, they said, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you now going to show us your power and you become the king? They didn't fully understand that Jesus had a different kind of kingdom in mind. And he knew what they are talking about, so he said this, you will receive power. But the power he talks about is a different power, isn't it? It wasn't the kind of power that we'd walk around flexing our Christian muscles, scaring people. The kind of power that Jesus says, I'm going to give you, is the power to testify 
to the kingship of Jesus. For us to stand strong like they did on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and said, you know what? Jesus is alive and he's alive in me. Jesus gives us the power to stand when other people around us won't stand to do the right things. He gives us the power to stand and do the right things. Jesus gives us the power to turn weakness into strength. The power to resist temptation and the power to conquer evil. The power to withstand persecution. The power to change the world as the entire book of Acts reveals. See, that's the kind of power we're talking about. That power is ours through Christ, through that relationship, through His Holy Spirit, to stand, to live for Him in a way that honors Him. When Jesus entered Passover week, there was a perfect storm that took place. When Jesus enters your life, incredible things take place. You're given the ability to find forgiveness. You're given the ability to be made right with God. You're given the ability to have the same power that His Spirit did throughout all history. Isn't that an incredible thing? Palm Sunday should put a little bit of a smile on your face because Jesus brought so much when he entered that city and brings so much now as he enters our life. We know what's coming up this week. It's a week when we, we look to see what happens to Christ and the cross, but we look forward to next Sunday because we celebrate his resurrection. The only God in the universe to have ever done that. The only person to have ever resurrected. We get to celebrate that. We claim that as our victory. Amen? What an incredible thing it is. So this week, this week, here's what I want to challenge you with. I'm going to have the worship team come forward. Um, this week, you know, as we think about how Jesus entered the Passover and how Jesus enters our life and changes everything, do me a favor, would you? Ask yourself, who are you following this week? If Jesus would have rode into this city like he did in Jerusalem, would you be one of the ones celebrating or would you be one of the ones exchanging money? Would you be the one throwing a palm branch down or would you have been yelling different things? Would you have been cheering him on or would you sort of stand in the back and just question? Are you following him? Would you be like the disciples? I heard a story about a lady who... She was driving home, it was pouring down rain. She couldn't see out of her windshield, and, and so she just sort of watched the car in front of her. It seemed to be going in the right direction. She stayed close to it and just could, couldn't tell where turnoffs were and followed this car and turned right, turned left. Yep, it seems going in the right direction. And, and she said, I'll, I'll make it home following this car. And then the car stopped. And she thought, what's going on? This could be dangerous. We're in the middle of a road. There could be a car coming behind that's going to hit us, or we could get in an accident. And then she noticed the car in front of her not only stopped, but turned off its lights. Now she's a little, little nervous, like, okay, what's going on? Did they have car trouble? Did they get an accident? Maybe they hit a deer or something. Or, or I don't know what's going on. And then while she's thinking this all through, somebody tapped on her window, and it scared her, startled her. It startled all of us, right? And she rolled down her window, and, and, and the, she looks and says, what are you doing? Why did you park right here? You can get in an accident. What do you think you're doing? And the gentleman outside said, I was about ready to ask you the same thing. This is my driveway. <laughs> She'd followed the wrong car the wrong direction. And that's what happens when we don't follow Jesus. We end up in the wrong place, the wrong time, right? Let's make sure we're following Jesus as he enters in. Let's make sure we allow him to enter into our life and we follow him in the right direction. Would you do this? Would you all stand with me? And we're going we're gonna to pray.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And as we get ready to pray, I just want you to ask these questions. And no one looking around, I just want you to sort of listen to what I'm saying and, and ask, you, ask yourself these same questions. Ask yourself if you've tried and failed to do good. How are you doing with that? Maybe this morning you need to just pray to, to God and let Him know that you've tried to do things and you have failed. And you let Him know you can't do things on your own. See, we don't deserve forgiveness, but He gives us that. So ask Him for forgiveness. Because we can't achieve righteousness on our own. We can't achieve forgiveness on our own. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to ask to be right with Him. We have no power on our own to live the kind of life we want to live. So you need to ask Him to come into your life. And whatever we try to do, our religious efforts, showing up on Sunday morning, reading certain scriptures, you know, we, we make all the effort we can, but that doesn't make it happen. So this morning, call in the name of Jesus. Confess your sin to Him. Get right with Him this morning. Turn to Him. The sacrifice on the cross is He did for you and me. That's the payment for all the wrong things that we've done. So thank Him for that. Ask Him to come into your life and take up residence there. Ask Him to exert control in your life. We all want to know forgiveness and righteousness and power that comes only through a relationship with Him. Ask Him for that this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can celebrate Palm Sunday when you entered into the city. It seemed like an incredible storm taking place and it was just the beginning. But in that one day, that one moment, you declared to so many that only you can make things right in the heart when it comes to forgiveness and righteousness and power. And it wasn't through the religious efforts, it wasn't through the Roman power, but it was through your spirit that was going to change this world. So Lord, this morning we want to change starting our hearts. So we seek forgiveness of you today, Lord. And we come now, Lord, prepared to show what we believe and what we've prayed for by joining in communion. <coughs> participating in what you did during that holy week. A command that you gave to us to do as well. This is how we identify ourselves with you. Lord, I thank you for being here this morning, for speaking to our hearts. In that precious name we pray. Amen.